Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast and it's a full house. Matt Messiano, Jordan Weimer and Tom all here and we're also delighted to be joined once again by David Anderson from At B's Tactical to, uh, well, sadly chat about how Brentford beat Watford uh, a couple of days ago. Um, who wants to kick us off? Uh, should we start by saying hello, Ashley? Should we? Hello, everybody. How How's everyone feeling? Yeah, feeling feeling great after that after that one. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's good to be here, all four of us. Uh, I don't think we ever done a, Have we ever had four on a podcast before? Or is this the first time? No, I felt like we needed the extra body to to put some positivity. Yeah, I, I need mean, the extra body in midfield. Yeah, this is a flat. <laughs> this is a flat midfield. This is a Kike Sanchez Flores midfield. I'm thinking Valenbora, I mean, they have to out wide. Um, you know, maybe Mario Suarez and yeah, Ben Watson in midfield. This is that sort of midfield. Uh, but yeah, it's good to have four of us. Um, oh, those were days, forward. weren't they? They were. And when we, when happy, we won things. Happy birthday to Van Barami, actually, as we record this. is his birthday today, so. Oh, nice. Oh, he is a listener, to be fair, isn't he? <laughs> he is, yeah. He's a big fan of the show, that one. <laughs> the enforcer. Um, okay, I mean, did the game go as, as predicted? We kind of had a, a nice good chat uh, beforehand about uh, what we thought might happen uh, David, I'll start with yourself. Uh, did you feel as though that it was the Brentford team that you expected to see turn up? Yeah, mostly. I mean, I I, I was um, touting for Ericsson to be started on the bench and someone else come in just because it was you guys and it was a little bit of maybe slightly weaker opposition compared to others we've played recently. But um, no, we went pretty strong and um, yeah, I took it quite seriously. I think in the chats beforehand, we were saying there's not really going to be any beach... Uh, sort of beach mentality from Brentford. Like, it's a it's a good chance to to sort of kick you guys when you're down. And I, I think we put out a strong team. And I think we played quite well. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I spoke to you before, Matt, didn't I? One of the key things I said to you were set pieces. How we're so strong from that. And I think you guys are pretty weak, mm. and like, both goals came from set pieces. Um, yep. It, yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's pretty weak in general. <laughs> well, yeah. Though. Sorry to just pick on set pieces for your other weak areas, but. It's um yeah it it went as planned I think I think we're we'll go into it maybe in a bit more detail but I think we're just slightly more drilled slightly better passing models slightly better positioning of players slightly better off the ball and it just all comes together and we I think I think you played okay that was the annoying thing like you played quite well but you're still losing when you play sort of well and that's the sign of a bad team I think we played well apparently uh, Jordan and Tom but what was your opinion of that. Well, I mean, it's all relative, isn't it? Well, relative to kind of recent performances. Um, 
I, I think we kind of saw we saw more of the same. Uh, there's some there's some some brighter spots. Some of the energy was there. I thought there were some some positives to draw from in a sense. Um, uh, Yuri Kuchka was again. Uh, I thought he was pretty good in midfield. He kind of carried on for the Leeds game. He was one of those players that was driving forwards and trying to make things happen. Uh, but you know, it's the same. It's the same kind of capitulation we've seen time and time again uh, this season. It was just not quite good enough, and we missed some key opportunities. Um, and you know, we actually had a bit of luck in, in in some situations, which I'm sure we'll get into further as well. But ultimately, we're not playing at a, a level to be competitive consistently in the Premier League right now. And you know, you can you can put down. Lots of different reasons for that, uh, but simply uh, against Brentford, I think we saw a, a good example of the kind of kind of how we should be looking to to operate as a as a team, and you know, in some ways as a club. And I, I think we were quite far off that. And uh, David just touched in there in regards to structure and just kind of you know passing models. I mean, they they're non-existent uh, in this team right now. It's it's not quite uh, not quite that complex at the moment. But um, yeah, that's kind of should be our target because we can clearly see that we're not even really close to the uh, to the people around us, those that have been fighting relegation for the for the season up to now. So yeah, disappointing for me. Tom, was that the, the final nail in the coffin of any lingering hope that, uh, that Watford fans had? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, we've all been fairly down on our chances of survival for quite a while now, but you have to say that with, what is it? A six-point gap. Um, time has as good as run out. Really, you know, particularly with uh, with City to come, it's uh, it's it's not looking it's not looking good, is it? Uh, and that's an understatement. I think in terms of the the performance and the result, I think David summed it up quite nicely when he listed all the things that kind of didn't go our way. And you know, if you say we conceded two incredibly soft goals, we conceded. A goal in the fifth minute of stoppage time. We missed a guilt-edged chance before that. We didn't make the most of the fact that Brentford weren't at their best in the first half. And Thomas Frank said as much afterwards. If you take all of that into account, and as Jordan said about you know the kind of passing and what have you as well, um, it's, it's hardly a surprise we didn't get anything, is it? And too often this season that has been the case. And I think if you, I just and do you know what really doesn't rankle with me because Brentford are a smart club and I think we, we're all admirers of what they, they've they done and, and we're not alone in that. Um, but when you consider that we came up together, you always kind of mark yourself against those those teams, don't you? And in the past, we've come up with teams and, um, and, and been the ones that have survived and thrived. And it looks like it will be Brentford this, or it will be Brentford this time, certainly not be us or Norwich. And and you just think, you know, that's Brentford streaking off into the distance, pocketing another hundred and something million this summer and, and probably doing really well with that because they're a smart club that makes smart decisions. I've said smart a lot, but they are smart and we are the class dunce of the Premier League and we're getting we're getting the cane for that now, aren't we? There you are. There's a metaphor I've murdered. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we went a lot of different ways in that one. Yeah, I think I should just Probably. caveat my well, only because like I think you did play okay, but I think I just mean it in like intentions and like going for it and and actually sort of committing people forward. I don't think you were exceptional within that, but I think you just I think you yeah you had good intentions. You wanted to go and attack us. I just think how you go about it and like your style and and um, and then defensively to back it all up is what probably lets you down. But yeah, I don't think you played terribly at all. I don't think it was just like a terrible performance. Um, I think the loss at the end, the killer killer late goal, makes it feel a lot worse than it was. It's just so improvised, though, isn't it? I mean, so much of that that kind of, you know, you point out there is kind of intent and so much of that is coming from individuals on the pitch. It doesn't feel like we've got a, a particular 
tactical setup in terms of intending to to be aggressive and press on because so much of it's just from energy from from Uri Kuchka, which is really saying something. Nothing against Kuchka, he's, he's had some really good moments for us, but he's you know to to rely on that that singular player to to drive the kind of momentum of the team, I just think is is concerning when you're in a relegation battle and you should. You, know, you should be looking for every every single opportunity or avenue to to try and win a game, and I don't think we've done that nearly enough. And it, it seems very simplistic to say we're not trying to win games, but we, we've taken very few risks um, in, in this kind of final running in games we have to win. And this is something we we discussed since since Roy was appointed, or before that even when we we're discussing who would potentially come in. Are we going to see someone come in and try and put us in situations to score goals and win games? And so often we've we found ourselves not. Uh, and that kind of even was compounded when you look at the substitutions that came in later in the game too. And it's just a, it's a frustrating one because whilst we don't deserve to, to stay in the league, I'd say on the bounce of things, it's quite fair to say we should get relegated. We have had opportunities to do better and we do have some some talent available, which just seems that we've not really tried to, to utilise in, in a way that actually suits us, which has been a little bit of a frustration, I think, for uh, for a lot of Watford fans. There did seem to be a, a noticeable uh, improvement from from the Watford performance, and there were a couple of players that seemed to, um, you know, buck their ideas up a bit and 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 sort of had had better games. I think Emmanuel Dennis was is certainly one of those. You, you highlighted uh, Jordan that you you felt as though he had a decent game. Yeah, I mean, I, he did have a decent game, and I had to kind of eat my words a little bit because the, the few minutes into the game, I was just tweeting and saying I just. Find Dennis a little bit frustrating at times. I feel like we really did feel he's 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 dropped off a little bit since uh, since that early part of the season. Obviously, in in terms of production, but I think as the season went on and he became more crucial to our attack, I think we just started to see him lose a drop off a little bit of those elements that really made him unique and and especially important for us. And that was the the work off the ball, um, just the runs he was making, the intensity in which those runs were being made. And he still has that to his game. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's completely gone, but just taking off that 5-10% makes a big difference. Now, if you go back and watch the Aston Villa game, first game of the season, he played in a central role, but you'll see uh, you'll see the points I talk about. And it's, it's, it's quite clear there is a contrast. And when you take that out of his game, it does affect uh, how we operate. And it was, it was it was good, though, in the, in the second half of the game, especially. We did start to see that come back a little bit. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the work for the goal and the finish he, for the goal he scored was, was very good. Um, he had a better game. Uh, but I do still think we are lacking a little bit. And I think with Emmanuel Dennis, he's one of those players for me, which uh, I think at this point he's he, he's he's playing kind of towards the top end of his of, of his game right now, of his ability. There's still room for him to progress. And I think it's definitely one that we want to look at seeing how we can, uh, can move on from that in the summer. But apart from that, um, yeah, he was, he was good. And... Um, uh, one one negative I will say though, which which wasn't really talked about too much. I think we've seen it discussed a little bit, but he was a little bit at fault for the end of the uh, the goal from Brentford right at the end. The way that he he was able to be pushed back and the the position he took up in the single man wall was playing a lot of the Brentford players inside, and that's just one one thing to point out in in terms of his game overall. I'd say. Mm. Did, did he get a bit lucky with the VAR decision? When, when I watched it back, it, it seemed yeah. it seemed to me as though his, his head was offside. I, I mean. I, yeah, it, 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 I'd say we're extremely lucky, weren't we? I thought that was yeah. that was offside. That was offside from from what I could tell, and I don't think the replays showed anything to. I think it just confirmed that more than anything. But yeah, I think you've seen those chalked off, haven't you? That's what I think you're saying. But I, I don't. Yeah. So I mean, you know, <laughs> we got gifted the the lucky uh, way back into the game, but we still couldn't uh, take anything out of it. It's, it's oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. But at least we can now kind of. You know, start looking towards um, next season in the championship. So just before Tom goes on to that, Tom can ask this question, but I just wanted to touch on the Imran loser miss. What we're we feeling about that was the, yeah, go on, Tom, you, you answer that. I'm sure you've got some feelings. <sighs> well, <laughs> so uh, Emmanuel Dennis, just one 
quick thing. Not that it makes any difference at this stage, and we're all expecting to leave in the summer, right? The one thing I would say, the finish was excellent, and it was nice to see him score a goal like that, because I think too often in recent weeks and maybe months, we've seen him try to take a touch too many, Mm. try to do too much, uh, you know, carry that responsibility on his shoulders is one way of looking at it. Be a greedy bugger is another way of looking at it. But that was Dennis at his best, wasn't it? Instinctive, absolutely no angle, you know, probably a very low XG chance. And he just stuffed it away really nicely, whether he's offside or not. Uh, we'll, we'll skip over. Um, in terms of, uh, oh, lose a chance, yeah. I mean that. I mean that is our season in a nutshell, isn't it? And that's why we're going down. I think you know you miss, you pass up a chance like that, and then you give away a goal like that. Um, whatever it was, you know, minutes uh, minutes later. I think you're right. I, I jotted down. Dennis plays everyone on side. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to say about that, um, the the Pontus Janssen winner, nobody gets anywhere near him. Capaselli's got his. I don't know who Capaselli is meant to be watching, or if it or if he's zone or what, but. He just runs off the back of him, Pontus Janssen, and it, it's so easy. And the thing I was going to say is two set-piece goals like that. You're playing a team. It's land of the Giants, Brentford, isn't it? They're, they're, three of their back four are six foot four plus. I checked this out. Janssen, six foot four. Ayer, six foot six. Pinnock, six foot four. Mads Beck Sorensen came on. He's six foot two. Uh, there's a couple of others that are six foot plus. But you know those three alone are big boys. So we, you know, we know what they're about, and we know what they're, you know, how much threat they have from the long throws as well. You know, going back to the first goal, I'm just answering my own questions at this stage. But going, you know, the first goal, they were so fixated on the flick on that they didn't watch Norgard at any point coming into the box. You know, and, and all right, we know Brentford are good at throws. I think the stat was something like five goals from long throws this season, and three in the Premier League, and three of them have been Brentford. But you've You've just got to have the awareness and the gumption to deal with both phases of that play, yeah. and it's really hard to deal yeah, with that second know. phase, though. Um, oh, it is. That's yeah, the, no, hundred percent. That but, second ball is the one. You just don't know what direction that's going to go. I mean, you yeah, you try and read it towards course. going towards goal, and that's why we do it. I think, but it's it's all right just having the the sort of balls to do that and and um, take the the flack of like just throwing it in from a throw in long, just like who, everyone's sort of. <laughs> booing you calling you stoke from like 10 years ago but just doing it and then flicking it on and getting a goal like what that goal's just basically cemented you guys to going down it's it's and yeah you speak about height as well i think you've given i a bit of a disservice i think he's six seven actually i think he's six six I <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. yeah yeah get those get don't chop off any inches he's an absolute giant <laughs> but if you it wasn't that... have you scored many that that's it that way that way this season david i haven't really yeah yeah it's been a trademark of ours since the first game i think on the premier league opener against arsenal norgard got one pretty much identical but obviously with a head just a little header at the that post flicked on um <clears throat> we've been doing it for ages we've been practicing in the championship knew it would be really valuable in the premier league and it's kept us it's kept us up um but no i was just going to say we had really short defenders not too long ago and it's just it's just these little things that stand out like incremental um improvements to your defense like just keep getting slightly bigger defenders slightly bigger then a then a defender that's a bigger and ball player and then we're just left with jansen <laughs> pinnock and aya just absolute giants who can do pretty much the whole game with their feet as well and it's just yeah you just got to like clap the recruiters again and again because um it's not just by chance that we've ended up with these with these players well and also just to 
sorry, just to well, just to add on to that. I mean, if you if you look um, to not too long ago, especially the last last from the Premier League, the last few seasons of the Premier League, we were a very tall, tall team. Um, you know, we had some some big players. You look at the midfield we had for a long time. You got likes of Etienne Capoue in there. It, even Decore, he's Decore. He wasn't you know he's about six foot, but he was a he, he was a he was a big six foot in how he played. He jumped well. And we had these players that were threatening, either Troy Deeney, etc. Uh, but the, the real difference between us and Brentford is we didn't have any delivery. We haven't had delivery in that time at all. We never really capitalised that from from set from set pieces. So there is a big difference there. And I think that's uh, it's kind of summarises you know Watford in general recently. You have the, the the pieces to to kind of work in some of these ways, but you're missing some elements to to really kind of pay off that work you've done in getting those players in and we're not we never really capitalized on that and I think it's um yeah it's, it's really difficult I just wanted to touch on as well when David said about that second ball it is it's extremely difficult to to kind of know or predict where it's going to go but um, I, I think the way that we've defended from set pieces and defended in general for large portions it's just kind of indicative of how we've played and it's all been very flat-footed and slow um, and as much as you know you hate the cliche Brentford just wanted to attack that second ball more and it was uh, beneficial for them so yeah who was the last tall Watford player? Sorry, last tall player was the other question, which, go ahead, who was that? Like, who's exceptionally tall? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think 6'4 plus. Who was the last ben tall Ben Foster is, de- is deceptively tall. Like when you Okay, s- not goalkeepers. Okay, yeah, not fair goal enough. <laughs> Outfield players. Callum Davenport. How tall was he? Six, <laughs> six, that's a... 15 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, how tall was he? 6'4"? Kapue is another tall player, isn't he? I remember Kapue being big. How how big was he? Yeah, six three. He's a he's a range Kapu of six three, but he's got like he's a long was leg, he? long arm. I think he looked. I mean, he's tall, but like he wasn't exceptionally tall, you know. Who was who was the the, the guy we had that broke um, that Arsenal player's leg? Oh, Martin Taylor. He was pretty tall. Yeah, he was pretty tall. Eduardo. Eduardo. Yeah. As well as the silver as a horrible way. Stefano Akaka. I'm sure this is fascinating. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter in the slightest. I just can't About remember six... any Watford, any tall Watford players. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's go back to that question <laughs> yeah. I, was, I asked you, Tom. Um, About half an hour ago. <laughs> about half an hour ago. I was, I was, I was, it feels to me as though the championship um, is beckoning <laughs> and the side that's going down is going to be very, very different to the side that we had um previously in the championship and the feel is going to be different as well yeah no I, I agree wholeheartedly I think you know we, we we expect to lose players this time I think you know two years on clubs are in a position financially that they will be able to take Saar and Dennis others potentially from us we obviously have some senior players out of contract I mean you know Scott Duxbury apparently has said that it, they'd like to keep cleverly Foster and uh, Dan Gosling. Oh, and Kuchka too. I mean, whatever. That just sums that sums up. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sums up what everyone thinks, and no one's backing that sentence up, are they? No, absolutely. So I think it will be different. I think it will be very different to last time. Obviously, the conditions will be different because there will be supporters in the grounds. There are um, there are some decent teams down there. I think still. I gather it is not, I don't pay a huge amount of attention to the championship. I have to be honest and ignorant about this, but I gather from those that do that this has not been a vintage championship season and it will probably be stronger next season. So it'll be more difficult. And I just don't think we're going to, you know, like last time, I don't think we're going to be in a position where we go and spend money. And, and, you know, the, the parallel that was made when we were last in the championship was Brentford. And again, quite nicely, wasn't it? Um, And going out and signing Tony and, you know, we were reported to offer some kind of piddling amount of money, 
Brentford went and got it done. He scored thirty something goals from memory. They got promoted with us. He's done very well in the champion uh, in the Premier League now. Uh, you know, look at look at where we are. Look look at where they're going to be next season. So it's it's going to be a long, tough season. I've absolutely no expectation of us uh, getting promoted um, automatically. We would do well to be in in the mix for the playoffs. Yeah, I think I think. I reckon. Sorry, go on. Just but just to carry on off, off that point real quick. I think that there's 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 a definite cause to for concern in terms of how how the club is operating and direction of things going forward. But what I will say is I wouldn't say it's all necessarily doom and gloom. We lost we lost quite a few players last time uh, we went down, some quite big kind of influential players. And I do think we'll lose some, of course, going down this time. But I think we'll also be able to hold on to a fair few, which will be will be kind of big big key points to uh, to any sort of promotion push that we could that we could potentially mount and I think if you look at uh, the teams around us there are some there are some weaker teams in there of course and there'll be there'll be some strengthening as well but we do have the we do have the the, the capability to uh, put together a decent squad should we actually kind of put in the right direction and, and kind of focus ourselves on uh, improving some of the issues we've had but off the pitch, off the field in the, in the last few years, there is that potential there. And you might not have that talisman in this made Asar, but uh, we do have quality in the team too. And you are going to pick up a decent amount of financial kind of revenue off the, uh, off the sale of likes of Saar, Dennis, etc. But also you've got the parachute payments. I think there are opportunities for, for us to manoeuvre in the transfer market. And don't forget there are some returning loan players. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with the likes of Zinconego, but he's someone that can improve the team, especially in the Championship again next season. Tom Dilly Bashiri returning, uh, as well as bringing some of those other players down with us as well that I think we could potentially hold on to, like Imran Luza, Kamara, uh, Chucho Hernandez as well. I, I do think there are there is a base there for a potentially good team. Um, and if you bring in the right coach, depending on how we operate in the in in the transfer window and, and bringing in the right coach, there is a chance that we could do well. So we have to be concerned, but I don't think we should be too too negative at this point anyway. Scott Duxbury, I think I saw a statement somewhere saying something. I mean, it wasn't really a statement; it was more like a comment. But um, I think he said that they're going to start dealing or having a different approach to to how they they use head coaches. Has it, did anyone see anything? Yeah, well, well we, along, we haven't got exact. Yeah, I mean, this, this is this is this conversation coming out from the uh, from the the fans group that was able to have the meeting with the club in Duxbury, and you know, he said that supposedly there's they're going to be changing approach uh, in terms of hiring coaches with a, a longer term plan in mind. I think also one of the things which he commented on, which was rather concerning. Um, we haven't got a direct quote, but just from people that have been there, was you know, saying that or hinting or um, at least leading people to believe that he felt that the championship was quite a relatively easy standard for us to to find a way out of and that he expects us to go up as champions, which I think is obviously a concern um, when you hear uh, when you hear your CEO say, make those sort of statements so kind of bl- in such a blasé manner because we know the, the complexity of that division of any sort of division actually when it comes to uh, getting promotion and, and how difficult that can be. I mean, just ask Brentford. It took, a, it took them a, a long time of building and planning uh, to kind of find a way out of that and you know, it's it's a it's a stark contrast between the two clubs. So it's good to have David on to talk about it. But um, yeah, I think those comments in particular are very very strange. That's exactly what I wanted to to, to get onto. Actually, David, it was. Uh, I mean, you've had a coach in place now who was originally the assistant. Is that right? And then he moved up and uh, in around about October ish of eighteen, and uh, he's been in place ever since. And you've basically allowed him to grow with the team and. And I, I suppose you know built the the team it, it, with this uh, moneyball method, but it, you've you've kept the same coach in place and you've allowed him to grow as well. Uh, 
what's that like having it having a coach for longer than six months <laughs> what's it like being good david <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh uh i think thomas frank's a strange one so he has obviously managed that he managed at bromby before he came to brentford so he's been a head coach in denmark and Bromby were like the the Man United of their league and they've been in the Champions League and things like that. So he was taking a step down coming to England and being an assistant. He did that because he wanted to maybe build again and probably was promised that the head coach role would be his one day. Um, but no, he, he came in to solidify us defensively to help us because we were just this like forward-thinking, flighty, attacking team. We just get kept, kept getting hit on the break and long balls over the top. We were just so weak defensively and he started drilling us and... I think he is a defensive first coach, like, and then he he obviously got attacking principles, but he just likes us to be solid, and he just goes on. He, he kept used to talk about um, defensive mindset and discipline and concentration and those kinds of things, and it, I think he promised that it would take time to drill the club and get and sort of switch us around to that way of thinking, and be a defense first team, and then earn the right to play, and then get get goals from that sort of infrequent attacking but he yeah it, it's it's come good for him I think there were moments there's been some hairy moments where he thought this might be it and it's time to go but they've stuck with him and yeah he, he is a good coach I, I think um there'll be a few other teams probably looking at him now and he's I think his contacts as well in Denmark have been really good for us he's been he has been allowed to grow and I think he's he's been allowed to improve but I, I think he always was a good coach he, a good coach he just needed to find the right home and Brentford have been perfect for him yeah it's it's good and I, I don't know I don't really know who'd have done the job that he's done because he's obviously he's probably had offers at some stages and he's sort of battered them away and then there's been moments where the club would have got rid of him and they've stayed with him so it's just been a really good match and um, has there yeah. been periods like that David where, where, where mm. he's had rough patches that perhaps under other ownership he might have lost his job yeah 100% there's so many other owners that would have um, pulled the trigger on this coach absolutely I'm absolutely sure of that I, I think there were times when the fan base were just demanding it I think you you sort of go on like non-winning streaks um, even in the Premier League there were teams that were saying like when we had that bad run I think they had like seven seven losses in a row or six losses in a row or something and people were saying well this isn't the right coach but it's it's probably just the strength of the league and you have to wait for these results to to sort of sort themselves out and uh, and, and the weaker opposition come back round again and you, you pick up a few wins but no, no, I, I think we're we're always looking at underlying metrics, and I think there was just strong signal that he was good enough, and we were doing enough as a team that there was no point really worth sacking this manager. And what you, what improvements you'd get versus like the level of our squad, it, it's just fine to keep him. And he was he was doing a well a well good enough job. And um, yeah, hope, long may it continue. Jordan, would you like to see Watford, a, you know, follow a Brentford like approach? Or yeah, is too, I think is it too alien to 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 what the current set up is that it just wouldn't happen no I think I think I think one of the most important things in in any sort especially sport is a jet that it's a copycat situation in, in so many leagues across you know all sports is teams innovate they find ways of doing things and other teams copy them and try and try and kind of imitate those those things that led to success and you know Brentford have been leading in in a certain way of, of doing things and you know, they found that, and the difficulty is when you are one of those kind of front runners. It, it, it can sometimes you can sometimes become a little bit tied to your ideas and philosophies. And I'm not saying this is not actually a comment on Brentford at all. It's more in regards to to our ownership and, and how we we were the leaders in terms of scouting and, and finding players. And we, you know, the the, the Potsdam scouting network is something that's become uh, it was talked about quite heavily since since we've 
been under their ownership and it was always the kind of the main talking point when they came came towards us pushing forwards and developing as a club was how many scout this this big scout network that covers South America and Europe and has access to all these players and you know these were the first guys to to develop that sort of intricate network and have this big pool to choose from and and that was something that was very at the time very cutting edge and, and over the period of you know, our ownership almost ten years is is slowly, slowly we've fallen behind and fallen behind. We've not actually pushed forward. We've not found ways to adapt and, you know, whether that be through technology that's available or or, or approach or a mixture of the two and, and so many factors. But the the result is we are now behind the times and that's happened in the space of 10 years we've gone from the front to the back and it's it's something which is concerning but I think you have to uh, this season especially is a real time to look at uh at what's around us and, and really self have a self-assessment and kind of put ego aside and be honest and, and and humble enough to say look we need to we need to kind of change our ideas here and be open to to other ways of thinking because right now um we're kind of just biting our nose off to spite our face at this point because we need to adapt uh in, in terms of doing it in, in a style of Brentford I think you can take elements you can draw positives from how they how they operate and you can integrate it into us I think changing completely overnight is a is a is a it's a risky move to, to make especially in a in a in a league structure where you can get relegated not as safe enough to get relegated but you can you can have some some negative effects from that I think gradually changing and, and going towards that idea would be definitely beneficial or at least drawing some some things from Brentford um especially how they how they operate with their with their recruitment and and coaching you know, it's tough. I think there's you can you can hold your fire on on some of the coaching um, kind of decisions when it comes to to firing and and getting rid of them. But I think it's more about hiring the right coach. I think a lot of the times we haven't really necessarily disagreed with some of the sackings. It's more uh, the replacements that have come in. Uh, all the decisions that have been made have been very short term. You kind of look at our last few managers. There's been a lot of short term decisions being made there. And I know it's not always easy to make those long term ones, but I think that the most important thing now is, is finding a way to kind of draw all these departments together and, and have a more focused direction we're heading in. I think that's why communication from the club when we talk about these forums and stuff is so important because that's what all the fans want to see is just some idea uh, of a plan uh, to put into place. And yeah, I mean, going back to Brentford, I think they're by far kind of one of the leading examples of, of how to do that. Yeah, they're, they're the innovators at the minute, aren't they? I mean, at one time, Udinese and, and the Pozzo family were the innovators themselves, weren't they? They were you know, one of the first to, that's, to look that's at exactly video um, scouting and video analysis, but they've mm-hmm. just kind of gone very stale, haven't they? Well, you know, when you develop the ideas, it's easy, as I said, it's easy to become tied to them and you, you, you kind of want to just nurture that, that process and you, you kind of you get stuck to your guns a little bit, and it's and it's it's not so much about being defensive and and to your to your principles, but it's more you know you you've seen the success firsthand, how successful it can be. It's hard to let go and hard to change, and I think that's just something we need to see. Sorry, go on, David. I was, I was just only just going to reiterate that exact thing. Like, um, it's it's that fear, isn't it? Like you you've obviously gone down a, ro- a route and a and a and a way of doing things, and what's who's going to tell you that that's no longer right or that's correct because you've got the evidence that it's worked then. So that's Brentford, obviously, it's quite easy to say just doing a Brentford, but the evolution and the adaption over the last 10 to 12 years has been subtle each year, but there has been a change. And I think that's what's probably quite difficult to that's probably what's quite difficult to copy because it's it's not just uh, it's not just recruiting in one way or looking in undervalued leagues. It's looking in the right areas and then realizing what's valuable and just cutting that off. and And does it become is it is it not any is it no good for you any longer? And just getting rid of that and then moving on to another thing. But that's where I think we've been very smart, and and that's probably what doesn't get enough of coverage. Uh, coverage sort of 
what we've chopped away at the right times, what we've just forgotten about, what we've moved away from, and what we've realised is valuable. And I think in the Premier League for promoted teams, it's just clearly height, set pieces, and then being defensively solid. And that's why, if you look at the numbers, we're like 10 goals better than you in pretty much pretty much every area. And that's why we've eventually, yeah, going to stay up with uh, with quite a big points total from you guys in the end, I think. Yeah, and that's... Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, yeah. I was going to say, it's, it's interesting that... Uh... Frank's, you know, vision is to be, you know, strong defensively first because that's it seems very similar to how Roy uh, likes to, uh, you know, make sure his teams are set up. In fact, we we have noticed an improvement in in the defensive side, um, Tom, haven't we? I mean, you know, you you noticed something um, recently from from uh, you know how to sort of sum that up haven't you something something to do with um interceptions yeah interceptions yeah well i don't i don't know if this is necessarily the answer and that's why i put it on twitter earlier i was just i was uh digging around and i see that the three players with the most inceptions in the premier league per 90 minutes this season are um hassan kamara which probably shouldn't come as a surprise but then after him imran loser and uh samir which given two of those joined in january I wondered what people made of this, and maybe Jordan and and uh, David are in a good place to answer this. But apart from being incredibly defensively busy and probably not having a lot of the ball, what do we what do we actually take from that? Because people throw these things out, and I've I've done it here. But you know, so and so is top of this, top of that. But what what does that actually mean in isolation? A stat like that, can you deduct anything from it, or is it deduce anything from it? Or is it meaningless flim flam that people put out on Twitter? Well, I think it's I think it's useful. Uh, you have to. It's all about it's all about how you're viewing the data. What's the what realms you're viewing it? And if you're viewing it in a broad sense of looking at you know the entire Premier League, who's got the most interceptions, that data can be sometimes useful, but it can also be sometimes completely use, useless. It's in, in that situation there, as, as you touched on, how much defending they having to do. You know, what are they putting in the situation are they being put in the situation to to have to defend a lot? Are they going to be in a position to, to win sessions? Yeah. So it can be an indicator of good play or it can be an indicator of quantity. Um it's the same as if you were to look at um if you were to look at say centre backs that have won the most headers, it, you might not be drawing a pool of the best centre-backs by looking at those who've won the most. Um, or it's the same as, uh, you know, passes into the final third. For, if you look at defenders passing into the final third, you're going to see a lot more uh, from the, the bigger teams which have more possession higher up the pitch. doesn't necessarily mean they're actually better at doing so. So it's all the context in which you view it in. When it comes to those players, I think if you if you look at the ones that you've just mentioned there, you can look at Kamara and I'd say Kamara is actually an outlier in being good at doing that as well as having lots of opportunity to... Uh, to do so by being a team that's having to defend a lot. So I think if you look at it in the right context and kind of add those elements as well to view it as a as a broader picture, then it's pretty useful. Um, but you know, I think I think as that stat, just looking at those three players in terms of the, the, a broader view of the whole league, I think it says more about how much uh, how much we're having to do off the ball uh, than anything. What do you think on that, David? Yeah, I, I guess it's it's like volume versus like just just count like events happening just because it's happened a number of times doesn't mean it's actually useful. But yeah, it's it's just indicative of style, isn't it? Like you're setting off the ball a little bit more. Um, Roy is obviously a bit more of a, a coach that wants you to probably be a bit better structured and maybe set up a system that allows you to easily step into the position where good teams are going to make these passes and you're going to intercept more. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how much there is to, to read into. I think Christian Norgaard's got the most interceptions out of any midfielder in the Premier League. Um, 
mainly because he just sits in front of a back three and he kind of has a free screening role and that's just his job. Like you play against good teams, Chelsea, Man United, Man City. All these teams do is just keep making passes in the central area trying to cut through the centre. And if you just have a player there, then he's obviously there and he's going to make a lot of interceptions. Christian Nugard isn't the best midfielder in the Premier League at any, like, in any realm, but he's made the most interceptions. So you can, yeah, you can deduce from it what you want. I mean, is that valuable? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know how hard it would be to just put any player there just to do the same sort of thing and just say sit and and look at where these passes are going to be played. And yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it just depends, yeah, how what how you want to perceive it, I guess. What, just a quick one, David. I'm not sure how much Watford you've watched under Hodgson, but you, you talk about kind of Hodgson's too approach much, there. Too much, I think. Too much, yeah. Well, you watched that game, so yeah, I mean, you've definitely watched too much. No, um, <laughs> but I, I, I personally, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably sure that a lot of people feel the same. I'm sure Tyler Matt probably do as well to, to some extent. But I've actually been shocked at how little um, we've really seen from Hodgson in terms of impact on the team in, in the sense of what is being done to to change the fortunes. Now, we've seen us be more defensive and we've definitely got a little bit more structure in defensive positions. We play a little bit more defensively in, in, in times at times. But offensively, there's been little to no visible input in, in terms of our attacking play. And, uh, you know, we just seem very improvised in, and lacking any sort of structure in the offensive side of the ball. What what did you like? What do you think? Do you have any takeaways from from the game at the weekend and anything that kind of stood out to you? Because from a Watford perspective, as fans, we've struggled to see too much. Yeah, I think it's been really poor. Yeah, I I, I don't see much evolution from thinking back to like the Fulham teams and the, the Palace teams, like four four two pairs out wide. Just sort of, it's very much like in to out. Like you're you're not. There's nothing inverted. I don't see mm-hmm. I don't see anyone coming in on their stronger foot and just changing the angle and. and going into the danger area just naturally as in a couple of strides would take them in field. It's very much like Kika Firmino making a partnership with someone else on the right and then getting a cross in and you don't even really have a... Like Dennis is good in the air. I probably shouldn't say you don't have anyone strong in the air, but like that route to goal is very... It's very limited and you're you're right, it is improvised. It's like you, you can get to a certain level of the pitch I, I think loser was really good um dropping deep and picking up the ball but it's that next phase beyond that i don't think there was much going on then and then when someone did get it it was if they didn't make a couple of a driving run or like drop a shoulder and get past a couple of players i didn't see how else you were gonna get forward and then when they are in that position yeah. shot selections poor I, I i don't think you're a well drilled team no and I, I did say you played well because i think it was more about intent and i think you went for us and, and there were times when you looked dangerous and you you look like you could score but the the more sort of functional um planned strategic team was it was obviously us like you can just see from our shape and um how we get the ball forward and i, I don't know I, I i don't think it was a good appointment when it was made i don't think ranieri was another good appointment when it was made i think there's just an inflexibility about these guys i, I think you, you gotta i think you just gotta look at the previous seasons like teams playing back fours and four fourth uh, 4-3-3 they don't tend to stay up unless they're very good I think a lot of the teams that have had success have had a, a 3-5-2 and and sort of shifted around from there like have tried to get a bit of flexibility off that and just basically getting three mm-hmm. solid defenders in there and then letting the, the wing backs tuck in and help them and then seeing what you can get out of games like Sheffield United did it Leeds have a variation of it and we've done it again now and who's gone back down Norwich have gone down looking terrible you guys will look pretty weak. I think it's just this inflexibility of these older guys that it's just, it's so, it's obvious, it shines through and you've just, yeah, you've just been caught down a route with with um, 
with two guys, yeah, two two older managers who aren't really going to bring anything that we haven't seen before to the table, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's honestly, I find it shocking that that teams still look at these guys, and I I find the weight of experience in in professional football is such a bizarre thing to draw from because apart from that there's nothing really but do you not think it's fear Jordan though it's it is pure like um it's, it's just it's like having something on the resume or or going for someone who is new and and the fear of like what could they do are they going to be ridiculed could the first game be terrible and it, it's just like well at least you know Roy can um Roy set up a team in the Premier League however many 500 times before it's, it's that fear of no it is fear and they, that, that's, that's my point though it is fear and that's what's held us back in so many in so many regards you know we touched back on the, the, the recruitment strategy too it's fear of change uh, and fear of kind of going a different direction I think you look at Hodgson that's fine to say um, it's fine to say you know he's got the experience he knows how to set up a Premier League team etc but it doesn't take much digging it doesn't take much you know you go back and watch his last few games at Palace even just as a, a extremely small sample size and these are big decisions being made this is a Premier League club making a decision on their the next head coach I think if you go and look at uh, look at these recent performances under under Hodgson at Palace there was some real indicators of, of you know concerning issues that were there and whilst he has got experience in the league I think we were in such a precarious position after the previous we made that we made that appointment a few months prior in bringing in Ranieri and we can't go along the same the same route again I think it's just you know it it's it's not a ring endorsement for a, for a quality run side or a, a well-run side when you when you make those sort of decisions and that I just find it troubling and I think we've just it, it's, it's disappointing because I think a lot of us felt that that Hodgson would go, it would go down this way, and it's it's, it's disappointing that it's been so predictable. Um, we've just not seen quite enough to to really warrant that that appointment. But look, it's easy to it's easy to look back and make that make have that opinion. But I think even at the time, there were plenty of different. Do, do you not maybe maybe to the wider guys as well? Do you not think it was correcting um, uh, Munoz's appointment? Like obviously a really inexperienced coach, and like the, you've literally gone the complete opposite. Like these guys have got so much experience. What about someone kind of in between, like on the way up and learning? Well, like yeah. That was it, wasn't it? Maybe just overcorrecting that. Well, that one last, one last point yeah. I'll make on that. W- w- Watford wouldn't appoint somebody that was in a job already, though, because that would mean paying <laughs> off to uh, mm. paying that team off to get him. So you have to be looking at uh, a manager who has some experience but isn't past it that um, is available in the middle of the season. Yeah, and I think. <laughs> But I think there's similarity between Hodgson and Munoz that completely different, like completely take like other end of the of the spectrum in terms of experience, sure. But it's the it's the rigidity and the fit were always going to be an issue. Uh, and I'm talking about from a Premier League in the Championship. Fine, I understand there's there's qualities we discussed numerous times of quality to Munoz in the Championship. But when it came to the managing a Premier League side, the, the concerns were were very similar and. They they played out very as they were expected to, which is which is the real issue, I think, for me. But um, yeah, look, I mean, this is a, such a, a broad conversation to be had. I'm sure over the next few few weeks and months, we'll be discussing kind of managerial changes quite, rather heavily. But I mean, it's just uh, yeah, it's just disappointing. But I was curious to hear what you what you thought about um, about the Hodgson situation because it's obviously when you when you do appoint someone such as Roy Hodgson, you get a lot of quite honestly quite unanimously praise from from opposition fans and pundits etc in terms of bringing in Hodgson so yeah any thoughts on that one Tom I'll stop rambling on about Hodgson no that's fine it's been interesting to listen to I think I think we've said this before to be honest I won't go too in depth in it but we do we do have and maybe all clubs do this to some degree but we particularly seem to have a habit of going for the opposite 
in the next appointment, don't we? You know, right back to the start, they had they had gruff, mean Sean Dyche, very British. Get lovely little cuddly Gianfranco Zola in. He didn't work out. Get the Italian Sean Dyche in, Beppe Sonino. He didn't work out. Get, um, who was it next? I think you Os- might have something to say about that, about that name tag, by the way, but carry on. Get, um, who was after him? Oscar Garcia. He was cuddly, yep. wasn't he? Um, didn't make them do all that mean tactic stuff. Uh, he didn't last very long, sadly. So we got Billy McKinley in, very British. Uh, he didn't last very long, so they got someone even meaner in, in Slav. He left, so they got cuddly Kiko in, all right, style of football was uh, completely different as well. But follow me here. Um, who came Zari, after that? Was it? Walter Mazzari, who was just a bit weird, maybe ruins my point. Um, <laughs> a bit weird. Um, That's Javi, so cuddly again. Javi Garcia, who was lovely. Uh, had a plan, and they've all just gone gone to pot since then. You can't even fo- follow logic since then, See, can you? What 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 they what they messed up there clearly was they went from Javi to Kike again, right? Yeah. Which which is going from cuddly to cuddly. You can't go from cuddly <laughs> Kike to cuddly. Very defensive. You have to. You have to. Do you see our Do you see our issue here, See? David? Do you see our issue? When we talk about developing a club. We talk about how, develop, how Brentford have developed over a course of years, and we're talking about cuddly to non cuddly managers as our next approach. You so. can't get this analysis on any other podcast. This is uh, this is it, guys. This is the what we've done. Even on even, no. even last season, Ivic is the most serious bloke you've ever met in your life. And then they replace him with Munoz, who basically is a cheerleader, but he smiles. And and then they get Ranieri, who's the most experienced available coach on the market. Oh, no, he isn't. They've got someone who's literally retired after retirement to be even more experienced. Like, do you know what I mean? Who, who's next? Who's next? Like, well, I think, no, we, we joke here, but what it does indicate is it indicates a lack of a plan and lack of direction. And, and it, it's, you know, we're, we're messing around, but it's actually, you know, these are serious criticisms. Like, it's funny, but it's true. Like, it's it's, it's very difficult to, to kind of come away with any good feelings from, from that strategy, which means, it, which just emphasizes how important the next appointment is because we've literally become a joke. Like we've literally become a joke. In that is that sense, how Brentford but... fans feel, David? Do, 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 I mean, you can't talk for every single club in in the division, but from a Brentford point of view, is Watford a joke club? No, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a joke club. No, I wouldn't go that far. I think Watford's, Watford's a big club. Like, um, there's big fan base. There's no other clubs like really that close. Like you've got a dominant. Like you dominate an area. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's a joke. I, I think. Going up, I think we just look at Watford and think this is a team that if you if you want to sack your manager, the manager's going, which is good for other teams for instability. Um, how can you you can't just keep bringing managers in and that manager that manager be right for this set of players? Like maybe that's another thing that's happened as well. You flip flop so much, the squad hasn't changed too much, but these managers just keep changing. Um, no, I don't think it's a joke. But I, I just think you you automatically think there's instability there and that is a club that can be got at and in the end there's going to be too many decisions that are made and not enough of them are going to come off I think you just have to reduce the amount of big big decisions you're making I don't think I don't think um, unless you're like just money bags like some of the big big clubs like you, you have to probably stick to some decisions you're making and have a better a better plan and just let let it see through a little bit more and I, I just don't think you guys are there I think that's what's held you back a little bit it's just you're too easy to change things and then the result of that change is just not not great either. That's, that's how I perceive it. It does appear as though that the, the head coaches at Watford aren't allowed a period of, you know, mistakes. 
uh, uh, <laughs> they're not allowed to to, to suffer any. And, and as fans, I think we've got so used to the fact that this is how it operates that we also think, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get him, get him out, get him out, and we'll 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 almost um, applaud the decision to make the change because oh, we we don't like losing. I now. do. I, I will say though, I th- I think there is this like our managers just need to stay around for ages, but I, I don't think that's also true. I think you can obviously have managers that are there for too long. Like Sean Dyche is probably an example of Burnley. I think he probably was there too long. There's a big outrage about him going, but I, I think if it's the right manager and you're on the up and you can still continually see improvements, then obviously, yes, keep him. But I don't think you should just have managers hanging around for the sake of it, but I think you also need a, an evidence period. You need to be able to say, have what have they shown? Is, is this a long enough period? Have these players improved under them? Um, is our style good? Is this what we're setting out to do each game? Like, are we what, we're reporting back to, like, this is our plan? Is it any good? Where are we stacking up against our plan? And those kinds of things. And that that's a bit different to just hiring and firing, I think. That there's a, it is fine. I don't, I don't, it is an art, isn't it? I don't think there's a, a real um, fine, like, um, a bit of text on this, but you just need to be looking out for the right signal, don't you? And maybe that's where you've gone wrong a little bit as well. Yeah, I think if you're going to be, if you're going to be so quick to, to move on from coaches, you have to make sure that everything in the background, everything facilitating that, that change of coaches is strong and, and consistent. You have a base to do it off with that. And that's what we try to do, cause minimum disruption when moving on from a head coach. And that worked for a while. But once you start to get some, you start to lack that continuity off the field and you start to kind of go in a few different directions and suddenly there's not that strong base there behind it. And it just, it just ends in this kind of, this larger mess, which we found ourselves in. But um, yeah, so I guess we should probably move on to questions pretty soon, shouldn't we? I think we, we should. And uh, I've just looked down at the first one and uh, we've basically just asked that. <laughs> okay. It's Alan Tarrant. Alan, Alan was wondering, um, although our recruitment seems to have a lot of criticism, do you think with a decent long-term manager, our current crop of players would have kept us up? I personally feel the talent is there to finish lower mid-table at least, especially after seeing what Thomas Frank has achieved at Brentford. Mm. Um I suppose we've kind of just discussed that, so let's so let's just answer the question, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a, sh- a short thing each. Um, I'll, I'll go first, and I'll say, I think actually, if we let's let's take uh, Munoz for an example, I, I think if we had kept Munoz in charge, we would be higher than nineteenth. Mm. I, I mean, maybe maybe it'd be eighteenth, but I think we'd be higher than nineteenth. Wow, that's bold. Yeah, bold. Everyone else, Tom. Yeah, we might be higher than 19th, but I don't think we'd be... I can't sit here confidently and say, oh, we would have stayed up with him in charge. You know, we were we were losing games and looking pretty chaotic with, with Chisco here, so I don't think we'd be greatly improved. We might have more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's potential. Look, I, yeah, I mean... I think there is talent here and I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from is even if he wouldn't have stayed up, uh, I think there was enough talent in this squad to have a better go of it. Uh, I think that's where, you know, some of the some of the disappointment comes from, from what for fans, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, verdict is that a decent long-term manager would have, would have, would have kept the it's players. It's definitely going to help, isn't it? It's definitely going to help, I think. What do you think, David? Do you think the squad's good enough to start with, with a good manager at the helm? Or do you think it was always doomed to failure? <sighs> I think you had the attack to keep you up. I don't think you had the defence, no. no. I think that was your weak area. Um, yeah, I, I think you had the forwards to do something and get you like fired up, but not the not the base behind. Um, I think you were fighting a lost cause all along. Fair enough. 
Uh, next question from Matt Gom. Um, and this is a nice one. Are you guys going to the uh, Elton John concert at Vicarage Road? And also, should you wear a Watford shirt or no Watford shirt? Well, actually, I don't know. I I mean, obviously, I'm in Canada. So it's a longer trip. But I was considering actually coming back around that time. And if I did, then I would go to that, actually. Yeah. And would I wear a Watford shirt? Oh, you know, I don't wear a Watford shirt very much. Um I I don't I never I never was one of the people to wear Watford shirts to games actually even but um yeah maybe maybe I would if you want me to I will <laughs> if you, Matt if you buy Jordan's ticket he'll he'll wear a Watford shirt <laughs> no I, no not even that I just if you want me to wear a Watford shirt I'll wear a Watford shirt. I'll do anything for for a little bit of um, recognition <laughs> so <laughs> Tom I think you're going no I'm not I bought tickets for my mum for her for a present that's what you did uh, yeah. I'm not going wow. don't hope your mum's not listening this is a surprise no she's aware <laughs> uh, no I wouldn't wear a Watford shirt and like Jordan I don't tend to wear a Watford shirt to games either to be honest I haven't bought the current shirt in a long long time this episode isn't sponsored by the Watford FC club shop in case you're wondering <laughs> don't buy the shirt but yeah I think it's a kind of t- type of person that wears the shirt to games like not in a bad way I just think um Maybe uh, I, I I wouldn't wear a shirt to game either. Name um, on the back, David. You go for a name on the back if you did. <laughs> <laughs> not since I was probably about ten. I don't know, Anderson maybe, one, maybe twelve. Yeah, but not for a long time. No, no, not for me. Um, what's the name? Sorry, just a tangent. What's an what's the last shirt you had with a name on the back? Right, Anyone can answer this. I can't even remember. I've only I had a couple. I ever. I had Richard Richard Lee on a shirt when I was. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
very wow. young because you were the one. That, you were the one. <laughs> you were the guy. Because, and I'll tell you for why. Because at that point, it used to be by the letter. That's how old ago it was. <laughs> Richard, Richard, Richard Lee was a lot cheaper for however old I was, probably eight to ten years old than uh, Alec Chamberlain. Friend of the imagine. show, Richard Lee is going to be gutted to hear this one. <laughs> sorry, Richard. <laughs> Friend of the show. There you go. Yeah. Yes, of course. Sorry, yeah. Speaking of which, you must have been Andre Gray for yours, wouldn't you, David? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Probably. I mean, Andre Gray's show. If you're getting letters on the back, you probably miss out a letter, wouldn't you? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they're doing it in the shop. No, no, not for me. Gray was a uh, yeah. He served a purpose and then was quickly moved on to you. Your who had so who was who was your shirt? <laughs> who was your shirt with the name on the back? Um, me. Either you two, go on. Well, um, I'm one of these embarrassing people that still has um, his own surname on the wow. back of the shirt at, oh, nice, at 34 man. years of age. No. And um, <laughs> I still wear it to games. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. With my special number as well. Number 10. What's your special number? <laughs> number 10. Number 10 nice. on, the, on the goalkeeper shirt. Oh, to be fair, I don't buy the goalkeeper shirts. Um, oh, I thought you, okay, long. I pictured. I thought you'd be a long sleeve goalkeeper shirt kind of guy. Well, I mean, obviously, when I play in goal, I don't wear an outfield top. But um, no, no, I just, know. I just pictured you being a fan of the goal. Most goalkeeper, most most fans that are actually goalkeepers often go for the goalkeeper shirts. So I have, I have I bought ones assume. in the past, and and obviously, you yeah. heard my very depressing, embarrassing story about being presented with a goalkeeper shirt from. Uh, was it Beppe Sedino or was it from... Yeah, yeah. the Italian Sean Dyche, <laughs> yeah. as Tom calls him. He had no um, idea what was going on. <laughs> see, my, my last shirt, just to finish <laughs> off this one before we move on, we actually answered the question we weren't even asked, so I'm sorry for the person that asked this question, <laughs> but um, last shirt I had the name on the back was actually Darius Henderson. Oh, wow. Number 10. Cool. Yeah, that was a great one, that. Nice. Used to wear used to wear that during the Wembley doubles. It was actually, even then, it was a bit of a, it was a joke, obviously, we all knew. Anyway, long story short, Darius Henderson, as we call it. Nice. All right. Um, next question, Jamie Looker. Um, oh, actually, sorry, Matt, I didn't answer your question. I am going to the Elton John concert and uh, I'm going to wear my shirt. So there you go. Um, David, are you going? David, yeah. I, sorry, I, I, I assumed that you wouldn't be, but you, where are you going? Well, I am and I'm wearing well, my going. Anderson shirt. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, no. I have seen Elton John live before, but um, I'm not, unfortunately, not going to this one. Um, yeah, gutted about that. Next time. Right, this one from Jamie They'll Looker. Uh, if Watford do go for a manager to build a style of play and a project, what style do we want or can realistically, can we play? And who would be available uh, to, to manage it? Um, long, deep question, that one. Uh, yeah, I think rather than... Some of these questions, I think, are quite long, in-depth questions. Obviously, we're all going to be having a crack at answering them if we're doing it collaboratively. I think... We shouldn't go too too far into into specifics and and spend a, an absolute age discussing these points. But um, just my answer, real quick. I think it's fine. I think the you won't be looking for someone if the ultimate goal is to get promoted. That is the ultimate goal, which of course it is. And you are looking for a longer term project. You want to be looking at someone who has the, the, the flexibility to be able to go from being a promotion ch- chasing team to also being a, a team looking to stay up, like Thomas Frank. You know, someone that has that flexibility and, and has the principles which fit kind of both roles a little bit more. Uh, in, in terms of how we play, you know, we've got an opportunity right now because we are going to be moving on from a certain group of players. And we are going to be bringing some in. We've got the opportunity to, to actually decide that whether that's a little bit more expansive in forward areas, a little bit more 
a little bit more kind of versatile in certain situations, then, you know, we've got some options. But I think the, the key is finding someone that's adaptable. In terms of who it should be, Diego Martinez keeps getting a lot of backing, doesn't he? But I don't, I just don't feel like he would find that as a, a good proposition. I think you'd be you surprised. They... I, think, I think it's likely. Really? Honestly. You I think, think so? It's likely. In the championship? Yeah, I do. Yeah, right. I do. Honestly, on, on the basis of, on the on, at the risk of making myself sound like more of an idiot than I already do, based off what Jordan's just said there about Diego Martinez and the likelihood of him, I think about three Watford fans know what they're getting with Diego Martinez. I'm not one of them, uh, but because <laughs> he's been talked about so much, he's like that player that gets injured and then you go, oh, but if so-and-so had been fit this season, it would have been different. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Gareth Williams being Gavin uh, Williams. Yeah, oh, exactly. Gareth, oh, see, look at that. That's Gavin it. or Gareth? Gareth. Gareth. Ga- Gavin Williams was a oh. footballer who played for West Ham and Yeovil. But yeah, Gareth Williams okay, see, was the prime case yeah. of that. Like, just got better by being injured. He only played about three games for Watford, but he was the saviour. And Diego Martinez is going to be the same to the point that I almost wish that I, mean, I know nothing about the guy. I almost hope he doesn't get it for his own for his own good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the fact that um, Sam Allardyce is is apparently next favourite. Behind no. Diego Martinez, just, just says a lot, doesn't it? Just stop. Just, <laughs> just stop. This is genuine, genuine old-time reading can't. out here. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Oh, fucking hell. The podcast will cease to end. To bring a bit of sense uh, back into proceedings, yeah, yeah. I, I reckon um, what someone that's on the up is Steve Cooper. Brentford fans listening will probably hate me saying this because he's just hated by Brentford's fan base, but... Cooper's like shown he's done some good stuff with the youngsters, under seventeens, like the World Cup stuff of England. He's got Swansea really close. Forrester just like Forrest had St- um, Chris Hutton for ages, and were just they looked absolutely hopeless. I think if he stayed, he'd have taken them down. Um, Cooper, not too much change, has implemented a good style quickly, and they're they're close to the they're close to doing something. And yeah, I think quite quickly he can come into a team and just sort sort a team out and. It looks like a manager on the up. So you've had the yeah, he he isn't that young, but he's young in terms of his um, uh, senior roles. But you've had Roy, who's been really experienced. Maybe it's time, maybe it's time to give someone like Cooper a chance and um, give him a bit more of a bigger budget. I like bigger yeah, I think also when it comes to so when it comes line. to Martinez, real quick, because um, I have tried to do research on, on Martinez, and I would definitely continue to do more as he kind of looks more and more likely. But I think what he does offer is he he, he will fit some of the attack and talent that we have in the team will have coming you know you look at Espria who'll be coming in uh, hopefully the, uh, an opportunity to be playing playing some games for us if we keep hold of Yao Pedro Chicho Hernandez I think he, we have some talent which suits um, his style of play and also look at the players we'll be looking to retain in Kamara uh, Kiko Femenia fullbacks that attack um, a midfielder like Imran Loser if he can be retained he's someone that fits uh, how Martinez plays and I think we have some pieces there and when we talk about collaborating a little bit more in terms of bringing the recruitment side into the into, into the head coach that's coming in I think it's a, a nice fit um, it's, it's quite an easy transition to, to start development, uh, develop, developing from there and that that's kind of one of the key things I look at Martinez I think it suits us and you kind of talk about the Sam Adice and stuff like that it's, it's really just kicking the can down the road and going in a completely different direction Um but in, in terms of people that are on, on the Martinez train, I'm never 100% sold on on any manager, but he's one I can see the positives. And he, he might be he might be a Williams, but he might not be, I think. In terms of things I've seen on, on Twitter, Watford fans tend, and probably all fans are, are like this actually, but Watford fans tend to like getting behind names of former players that are now sort of doing reasonably well in management. So I, I see a lot of, uh, you know, 
John Eustace um, sort of comments, and also uh, yeah. who's the current Wales manager or caretaker manager? Rob Page. Rob Page I knew yeah. you were going to say Rob Page. No, you're not. You're not. It's just, it's just, a, it's just another. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big. Tom sounds hot on Rob Page. <laughs> no, do you know what? It's just, it's just another stupid emotional one. Like people, someone tweeted this, and they're absolutely right. If he had his managerial record sans Wales, people wouldn't even give it a shot. But he's, a, 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 you know, wouldn't even be mentioned. But it's only been mentioned because he's done a decent job with Wales in trying circumstances. Prior to that, it was what Port Vale and Northampton manager. Come on, like we're trying to get back to the Premier League next season. Go up, no chance. <laughs> this is, I think, those sorts of managerial appointments are the same. It's the same romanticism that comes into play when you think about uh, an academy prospect coming through, and the, the same calls that you get from from many people to to give someone, you know, playing on twenty three is a chance. When in reality, it's not actually a great fit or a great move. But it would be nice to have that moment. I think that's probably kind of the same sort of thing you look at. I mean, John Eustace, maybe you've got a few more. Look, I'm not ruling anyone. I'm not against anyone. Actually, there's no there's no no reason to 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 rule anyone in particular out based on experience or lack of it necessarily. But I think to to assume because of a a previous tie to the club that there'll be a good fit is. Um, Naive from us. Sounded like you were ruling Allardyce out, though, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably not the biggest Allardyce fan. Um, <laughs> I, I think we could definitely do better than that. Uh, but you know, this is—he's <laughs> going to be linked to every club, isn't he? In in, in terms of, uh, oh god, I, yeah. So I can't even talk about Allardyce. Just the thought of it's just kind of put me off this conversation in general. To most of you. Okay, next question. Uh, this one from Dom Smith. Uh, it's quite a it's quite a, a, a blunt one, really. Will we win another game this season? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fuck. I, Moving yeah. swiftly on, David. Uh, well, this is this is a good chance to pull oh, up yes, our predictions, okay, isn't it? Yeah, you might have to, we have to explain what the predictions are. People haven't listened to this one. Before. So, so for those who haven't listened, and David, who I, I dare say isn't tuned into this, uh, we predicted a while ago, prior to Aston Villa, which was in February, February nineteenth, in fact, uh, the outcome of all the games. Between now and the end of the season, Matt rather optimistically went for six wins in our remaining however many games that was. Wow. Uh, yeah, That's bold. Punchy. 15 games. Um, <laughs> I went for one win and Jordan went for three. At the moment, we are collectively down a point on what we predicted at this stage, which is pretty wretched as we were discussing prior. But in the remaining games, which are City, Burnley, Palace, Everton, Leicester and Chelsea... Uh, we have gone for a grand total of two points. That's the collective view. Um, so no, wow. we will officially not win another game this season. Although Matt's got us down for three wins, Burnley, Palace and Everton. <laughs> no, Man City, Chelsea, Leicester. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's the romance, isn't it? I think when you were doing these predictions, you're always like, try and be positive. But winning games in the Premier League is so hard. It's just hard, isn't it? Like there's there's no there's no gimmies or anything like that. It's just ruthless. Um, but yeah, I... I, th- I think you will win another game. Yeah, I, I think it'll probably be against Leicester. Like they, they seem to be. They might be focusing like on Europe at that stage as well, mightn't they? Yeah, and and also Chelsea as well. You don't know what they've got on and where they're trying to push for and what team they. Put I will, yeah, what I will say about. Um, I mean, not, I'm not going to be one of those people that's going to say necessarily. I'd rather be in the Championship than the Premier League. But for 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 supporters of clubs, ultimately you want to see your team win. And no matter really who you support about outside that kind of top group of teams you don't really see your teams win that much it's good. it can be quite it can be quite frustrating especially when they get the change of pace from the you know the championship season you get promoted and then you know we've seen us win six times this season it's it's pretty bleak and he, i mean 
you know, on 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 the same the same point of that there as well. Um, when it comes to comes to even Brentford, you know, you've got you've got eleven wins, but it's still it's still a contrast from from the season before, and it. Yeah, I don't even know what the point I'm making is. I'm just at that at that point of this. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to win. No, we're not going to win. Good, good. Um, I think I think we'll win at least one. Uh, I wouldn't have picked Chelsea or Leicester. Being... We know yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll win at least three. Well, I mean, I, I I made those predictions when I was a bit more optimistic. I, I think I also had Leeds and uh, and Brentford down as as victories as well. Um, clearly, that didn't pan out the way I thought. So. Yeah. Mm. Yes, you had. Yes, you did. You didn't really answer losers miss, did you? Did you go into that? I heard it raised, but that miss on his right foot. I, we, I did ask the question, but honestly, I think this podcast has been pretty uh, got brushed yeah, over. This podcast as a whole has been pretty similar to that miss, I'd say. Um, we just one big miss. <laughs> yeah, just, just, yeah. We just. Uh, I mean, that was it. Was indicative of the whole. Uh, I think you. I think Matt did touch on how it kind of was a metaphor for the season, really. But yeah, it was pretty poor and even the shot on the post from King just before that I, think, I actually probably had more sympathy for losing than King in some ways the way it kind of came into him quite quickly into readjusting his weak foot um, was quite unfortunate but yeah ultimate punishment straight after that mm. but that's how sure yeah that's just saying like that's how close a loss and a win is yeah. isn't it like Matt's it was nearly there at Brentford but it's just a player adjusting their foot just quick enough to get something on target, but he did have two giants sliding. Yeah, probably hit uh, honestly, there, I think so. with, with loser as well, I think he's he's really been one of the bright points this season. And talk about promise promise for next season, I think he's quite he's quite central to a lot of that too. I think he's been really good. So I I, I felt bad for him, but yeah, it, it it was a difficult chance. I think a little bit more difficult than it was made out. I didn't see all the commentary, but um, I think it was maybe discussed as being a little bit easier than it probably actually was. This one's from Joel Isaac Halpern. Uh, he says, the club said they would learn from relegation two seasons ago. Why have they not learnt? And what's to say nothing will happen again next season? I think we discussed why they haven't learnt, um, in a sense. I think we, we covered that pretty well in the in the previous part of the conversation. What, what was the summary of that, in a, in a sense? Well, just that we haven't adapted, effectively. We, we've, we've kind of rested and we kind of haven't really moved on from, for our initial advantage. We've kind of let that that other teams around, sorry, we've let other teams around us creep up and, and slowly kind of fall into the wayside in terms of our approach. And, you know, I think that's that's one of the key factors that's, that's been at play. What, what was the second part of the question there? Sorry. Well, the first part of it was that he said that the club said they would learn from the relegation. Oh, okay. So, so, I mean, so, so, so why, 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 why have they not uh, followed up what they said they would do? But the second part of the oh, question sorry. was, um, uh, what's to say the same thing won't happen again next season? Yeah, okay. Well, in terms of what they haven't learned from the relegation, I think it's just, I think they've been a little bit stubborn. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult market to operate in the transfer window. We definitely went in there with some deficiencies and it's difficult to pinpoint why they haven't learned. Uh, but I, I think the, the best I could say is that we've been a little bit stubborn and we've been a little bit kind of arrogant in, in our approach. Does Scott Duxbury get any sympathy? Because I, I suppose we don't know how managed he is you know i mean if if pozzo who ultimately owns the club says one thing then and, and he wants doxbury to to do that doxbury is his employee technically so doesn't he just have to you know follow whatever he's being asked to do yeah i mean i don't know i think doxbury's role is very unclear for me I, the, the more and more doxbury talks about footballing matters the more uneasy i get i don't think that you know he <laughs> Duxbury talks and when we hear these kind of quotes from Duxbury, it's almost more from a 
from a, a, a director of football standpoint and a CEO. So I'm, I'm never too sure, to be honest. Because it seems like he takes the hit a lot, but um, I, I never see uh, you know fans talking about Pozzo in the same light. Is that because he kind of gets away from it all by never making comments or appearing you know visually with you know in front of any sort of club crests? I think this has been a problem for a while. We don't actually know who does what, right? Who, where the kind of accountability begins and ends for these different people or responsibility begins and ends is probably a better word for these people. You know, um, Filippo Giraldi for a long time was the kind of punch bag on Twitter for Watford fans. But did we know what he actually did? Was he really the one going out and IDing these players, uh, conducting, you know, making the offers, conducting the negotiations, and getting them over the line, highly doubt it. You know, it's not as simple as I think people make out, and that's not to that's not to say that you know by extension, therefore, we can't say these people are completely absolved of blame. I'm sure there are things that they can all have done better, but oh, there's a large part of me that thinks still that the most of the big decisions that people would kind of criticise the club for are made by one man, um, and that and that's Gino Pozzo. So I think. I would be very surprised if Duxbury, for example, is really getting involved in football decisions like recruitment and the hiring of managers. I'd be very surprised. Yeah, this is really interesting, isn't it? I guess Brentford just have really clear, defined reporting lines and and who does what. And the club is almost split up into two halves. It's like the recruitment side and the the smart odds and the the, the mathematical modelling side and like the people with PhDs and then the commercial guys like they are just they are literally the commercial <laughs> they sell shirts they try and get people in the club shop they're trying to fill the stadium they are they they're they literally have no idea about the real deeper conversations going on on the right about like transfer targets and things like that and I think you you just look at all the successful teams and they'll have a similar thing there'll be just a clear area where that goes on and then the other side and there's no like there's no sort of blur between is he doing this or is he doing that. Everyone knows what goes on there. And that's maybe somewhere where you've just got to clean up, I think, as well. Yeah. Well, that's, that's I mean, look, I, I know from from my experience with the club and, and people that I've spoken to that have worked with the club too, is that there's the, the segregation between departments is is quite evident um, in, in kind of the, the product that we produce in, on the football pitch. I think there's a lot of, there's a lack of um, continuity across departments. I think there's a lack of direction at times. I think, each group can feel quite isolated, not really sure um, exactly what their their role is, and there seems to be a just a just a lack of a, of a common goal. And I think it's a lack of leadership. Personally, I think you I think you can't you can't kind of really look too far past Duxbury. I think he does have a, a, a big say, and he has a big influence on the day to day running of the football club. I think if you're looking at someone to change the direction, obviously Juno Pozzo, but I think Duxbury is key to that as well. Um, and I think that's where we are we are falling short, and it, it does have a big impact. Uh, and I think that's something that has to be resolved, whether that's through through Duxbury doing it himself and having a kind of a, a, a bigger positive impact on, on on the club by being a little bit more proactive there, or whether that's Gino Pozzo making a decision to to replace Duxbury in his role, because that that should not be something that's out of the question if he's not meeting the the standards that that are, that are needed right now. Great answers, everyone. Um, Jordan, did we have some more questions? Then? Yeah, we do. We do have some questions. Um, uh, got, got a bit of a two part question here from John. Um, who would be a good manager with appointment next season? What has the club got right this year? Any insights, stats into new players already signed? How are the loan players getting on? So this is actually quite a big question here. Um, so we'll try and break it down. Um, in terms of managing the appointment, we covered that. 
uh, in terms of what we think would be good. Slightly, obviously, these are bigger questions we'll get into further uh, as this off-season continues. It kind of feels like we're in an off-season mode right now, even though we've still got a few games left. So we're going to have plenty of times to plenty of time to kind of delve into these ones a little bit deeper. Uh, in terms of insight and stats and new players already signed uh, and loan players getting on, we can talk a bit broad, a little bit more broadly about players that we have um, at kind of signed to the club, which aren't currently playing for us. Um, we kind of, we mentioned briefly we've got the likes of Zinkenegel and, and Dele Bashiru Hungbo as well he's been doing well and um, these are all players that can come back and, and contribute potentially next year uh, so something to be excited about um, in terms of stats and stuff again we'll, we'll get into that a little bit deeper in, 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 a, in a bigger uh, a bigger answer to the question rather than, than spending a lot of time going through those individually um, but yeah any, any particular players you're excited about coming back guys that, that we know that have been out and, and could play a part next season I was going to ask this earlier when you were mentioning Zinkenagel and Tom Delibashiru. Do we actually believe they're going to come back? Because I kind of feel like the, the turnover of players um, at Watford and probably relegation will change this a little bit perhaps. But the way we turn over players, I have very little faith in there being enough of a plan that these players, and I realise today <laughs> I'm probably sounding like the most miserable, pessimistic bugger going, but I do have very little faith in the club to have enough of a plan to be like, yeah, we're going to write, so-and-so is going to come back now. If Forrest do well enough that he's an attra- that they're an attractive proposition to Zinkenagel, I'm comp- and they've got the money to do it, they'll sell him to Forrest. It depends what our objective is, though. I mean, Zinkenagel signs in a long term deal as well. Remember, so we we do have the we do have the leeway there. Oh, they all sign on long. They give they give Craig Cathcart a four year deal two years ago. Yeah, well, Zinkenagel yeah. I think was a five Nine year, to- five and a half year even potentially. Yeah, oh, just. The, rea- the reality is as well, though, Zinkenagel could be going up as a promoted player and Watford just on the way down. Could be. Like, um, that, is, that is a very real <laughs> potential situation. Um, would would Forrest want him? Would they just cut their losses and already be sure that they don't want to take him into the Premier League anyway and just like send him back and he's he does another good turn in the Championship? But he, it's so hard to call with these things, isn't it? Um, but as yeah. a player, if he's yeah. if he's got a chance to play in the Premier League with... A team. I mean, he was loaned out. Like, he's obviously already deemed not good enough to play in the Premier League for for Watford. What would you do? Yeah, look, I think it's. I, I think I think personally, he'll probably want to stay with Forest. Um, I'd imagine he's had the better experience there. But who knows? It's it's very difficult to say. But I think if you're looking at purely from a player perspective, um, and, and from a, a a squad building perspective, you look at Zinkenegel as a potential option to return the team. Especially when you also consider that we're most likely going to lose two wide players this summer. It's an easy fit. Uh, to bring him back in, he was productive for us in the championship, and he's done reasonably well at Forest. So I think there'll be there'll be a, a lot of you know behind the scenes, a lot of people kind of calling for him to come back and, and be involved. And I think it'd be a good option, it'd be a smart thing for us to do. Uh, and the same with Tom Daly Bashiru. It's a little bit different with with Tom Daly Bashiru because we loaned him out for developmental reasons, uh, and I think he's done quite well at Reading, and certainly from what I've seen. So I think that he's someone that again is likely to come into that midfield and could actually contribute. Talk about the midfielders we have available to us right now. Um, he he does provide a different element, and I think if he was available to us this second, I think he'd probably be playing some minutes because we are lacking a little bit there. Uh, and I think he'll be a good option. So I think those are two that do have a genuine opportunity to to be a big part of the squad next season. Two that I would like to see involved in the squad next season, and it would mean uh, signing both of these players is uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel. Me- no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just joking. Um, Nicholas Inkulu and. Um, uh, I'd also like to see Peter Atibo, um, which would mean signing Atibo and trying to get Nkulu back on uh, a contract. But I think both could have, um, you know, have have genuine um, good 
spells in the championship with Watford next season. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, and and also, and also as well, we touched on but Aspria coming in too. Um, I think is is a positive. You know, he's he's going to bring a little bit of a little bit of flair and a little bit of you know excitement to to this Watford team. And I think like we saw with Jao Pedro, he, he might not have an instant impact. We can we can in the right circumstances be a good opportunity for a young player to come and play football and 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 be in a team which suits his style. Should we do the right things around him, I, I think it could be a good option. It's, it should be a little bit of. Uh, a little bit reinvigorating to to some of the some of the fans who haven't have been watching some of the more negative football. I think it'd be fun to see some of these attackers coming back and and being involved. And the likes of Zinchenko, Tonde Bashiru, Espria, we feel a lot more. We feel a lot better about that team, and hopefully we can start to maybe kind of have a little bit of a connection with these players again. When we start to have some of these guys come back in and and you know see some of what they have to offer. I think there's there's room, there's reason to be positive about some of these loan signings returning. I think. Next question. This one is a bit of a longer question again. What would your dream team in the championship be, including any new signings, but realistic if possible? Um, and if Martinez signs, what system slash style? So I think we'll leave the first part of the question. I think that sounds like a uh, whole pod on its own. It does. And as I one said, we're going to have so much. Yeah, and even sooner with the way the season is, you know, we won't be able to discuss these things a little bit quicker. But um, in terms of Martinez system style, has anyone had any, got any thoughts on Martinez? quickly famously i'm one of the people that knows nothing about him but i had got you pegged as one of the three people who does oh fantastic thanks tom um who's the other two tom yeah so i mean (laughs) briefly duxbury (laughs) (laughs) who was that that was my watch uh giving the definition of pegged (laughs) there you go Oh great! Now we, we get demonetized. This podcast now our sponsors are going to drop out of this. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. Martinez style. So <laughs> I, I think in, in terms of system, you're looking more at four three three. But there's some flexibility there. It doesn't have to be a four three three. But I think it's more the principles that would be at play. Um, passing movement um, forward areas be a little bit more fluid. Uh, options in midfield, kind of runners from deeper in midfield, and just a little bit more of attacking attacking ideas. A little bit more expansive than what we saw under under Munoz. A little bit more possession based, um, and, and defensively, there's still some structure there. That might be one of the issues that has to be addressed a little bit more on the kind of defensive side of the game. But having that that um, that versatility in midfield just allows you to to be a little bit more open. We're still kind of retaining some of that defensive structure as well. So yeah, we'll get deeper into that. But I think there are positives in Martinez, and I think he suits some of the uh, some of the players we have currently at the squad as well as those coming back um so next um actually sorry this is a question that's continuing from john he actually commented on his question which is a question i think we should answer too um so sorry to kind of go back to john's question here but he said why have you been so poor at home and better away is there a clear reason for this any 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 ideas here guys i don't know if it um i know it used to matter quite a bit but i don't know if it really matters as much to the players um no, I think there is home field advantage. That is a real thing. I think COVID showed it. This it, it sort of when there was no fans, basically the game was treated as more like a professional match in terms of two teams and a referee, and it was much more collaborative. And the games were just more even. But as soon as you introduce a home set of like partisan fans, there are more decisions that are going to go towards the home team. So you should really be stronger as a home team. I think. What I just think it is down to you is you just have to attack more, and you just come out and you you just lean on this bad defence and you just get punished like you're not a good defensive team and you're just playing against teams that are good at attacking all the time so yeah I think it's pretty 
it, I don't think it takes it. It sounds like it should be really confusing, but I don't think it is. I just think you're not one of the stronger teams in the league, and you just come up against like world class opposition every other week, and yeah. you're, just, you're just getting you're just getting beat, unfortunately. But and the reverse of that too. If you, you know, we're our strength comes from the the individuals out wide, and Ismael Saramen or Dennis, even Chucho Hernandez. When you're playing away from home, we are we are there for the taking in terms of opposition. If you, any any team that looks at their home fixtures and sees Watford, they're looking at that as three points. They're going to be naturally more attacking, uh, and that gives us really our best opportunity to come out and, and actually snatch a victory. You look at Southampton, you look at Aston Villa. You know, those would be looking at those teams would be looking at the fixtures and saying they should be coming out and attacking Watford, and they did, uh, and they got burned for doing it. That's the real threat we we. Play. So I'd say that's the that's definitely uh, the, the reason why we struggle. And also, you can look at in terms of home and home and away. There are there are elements as to why home should home field should be better, as you know David touched on there. I think also preparation is a key one. The routine you go through um, for athletes is so important, and disruption to that can be can be difficult, and it can make things harder. And obviously, when you're playing at home, you have that structure, you have that routine, you stick to. And I think that can play a part. And, and of course, you know, home fans can make a difference too. Um, just the atmosphere you're in can can definitely help. Any thoughts on that one, Tom? Nothing constructive to add. Nothing constructive. Okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on from Tom before he throws himself in front of one of the trains next to his house. Um, Jake, who would you be looking at signing from the free agency market or cut price players? Um, to be honest with you, I've not looked at what players kind of around the world of contracting expiring um, shortly, but... Has anyone got any ideas? Has anyone looked at free agency signings or any any thoughts on this or, or not? So Hastily much? bangs contracts expiring into transfer marked. Um, <laughs> right. Let's well, what I will say in terms of cut price players, I think you, you are looking at the you know you, you kind of always looking on the same pool of what players have what players are kind of coming towards end of contracts, you know, had injury problems, where are you going to find that value? And the club, I'd say recruitment-wise, have generally done a decent a decent job of finding value in players. The real question is, do you find value players that fit um, what we're trying to do? And that's not always been, that's not always worked out. We've definitely brought in players that you can say, you know what, that's a good, it's a, it's a good signing in terms of, you know, they're playing at a level above what we got them for. That's fine. But, you know, are they going to suit what we're doing as, as, a, as a larger project? Are we going to find that balance? I'm not entirely sure. Um, yeah, here's here's one completely yeah. left field one, right. right? Based on the transfer marked yeah. uh, list of expiring players, which is by no means exhaustive, and only runs to three pages, so it's clearly not exhaustive. But apparently, is out of contract. Twenty eight years old, plays in the championship already. I think he's a good player. Crikey, knows whether he'd fit in or not. Jed Wallace at Millwall, good player. Get him in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's. I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I think he was one. Didn't realize he's out of contract, but he was one that we discussed as being a really good option uh, after promotion, kind of coming into into the Premier League. We thought would would be very beneficial for us. We talked about deficiencies from set pieces uh, for a number of years now, but also just he's one of those players that can comfortably play in either division. I'd say. I, I say comfortably in the Premier League is maybe a bit of a stretch. He's untested there, but he's definitely a player with quality uh, at a Championship level for sure. Um, and he's someone that could that could push us on as a team, I think, still, um, especially at that value. Uh, I think that would be not a bad shout. And so on. Yeah, so um, this is a kind of interesting one, actually, because we had a quite a few quite a few changes here. But best centre-back pairing, What th- this is from Peter, and he, he said that Nkudu and Cabaselli would be his. What, what would be our best centre-back pairings? Uh, Samir 
and mm. I guess if he was fit and cooler, but that's uh, not happened, has that's it? That's a decent shout. I'd like to see um, more of I forgot Sierra exists, I must admit. Truce to Kong's another one who's just disappeared. I mean, you know, not that I'm saying for one second he's our strongest centre, part of our strongest centre-half pairing, but he's disappeared off the, the, the face of the earth, hasn't he? Um, hope, Sounds like he's off. I it? hope you're all right, Will. Um, but, but realistically, it, it's Samir. I saw people having a pop at Samir the other day. But if you really want Cathcart and Cabasaley in 2022, the highest year on record, starting Premier League football matches for you, then... Crikey, crikey! I think Cathcart's had the most consistent season well, this this year, based on based on appearances. I think he's done the least worst. Is that is that right? <laughs> yes, the least worst. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Actually, can I, I will actually question. I want to I want to get David involved in this real quick because I know we're kind of going down a very Watford <laughs> specific route here, and kind of. But in terms of centre back. This is just a slight tangent, but I think it's something that's worth discussing. Um, in terms of centre backs, we've had we in terms of kind of cutting the budget and finding the ways to operate in the market and and finding free agents. Often, centre back is where we've gone to for that value because um, naturally, you know, you can look at players a little bit older and they generally or in recent years have been lower value anyway. Uh, we've we've kind of mixed and matched there quite a lot, and I think that's kind of the basis of this question because our centre backs have been such such varied signings and so many of them we've definitely gone for quantity over quality in a lot of occasions but I think one of the one of the ways that Brentford stepped forward in, in terms of recruitment was that the signing of the centre-backs and and how useful those those acquisitions were kind of how important do you think that was for you in terms of promotion but also staying in the league was getting those centre-back signings right I know you guys play a back three as well which definitely kind of made it even more mm. key um, but there's those are areas I thought you did really well in yeah, we were we did well over a number of years. I think uh, I think the areas we looked at as well, we looked at, like League One's outstanding performers. We were looking at um, Matt Clark was someone we were really interested in, but in the end, we got Ethan Pinnock. Um, Pontus Janssen just landed in us, had a bust up at Leeds, and was just available in, at the right time. You just get the player, you pay what you need to do to get him in. Um, Mads Beck, Sorensen, Danish Hiya. youth, yeah, Ayers, just a. Yeah, he was just a brilliant player for Celtic, and I think he could have gone to a better team, but was just told like Brentford could be a land a, a platform here. You should play at Brentford for a couple of seasons, and who knows where your career will go? And you'll, you'll play regularly. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I think we've just been we have been quite smart with our centre back selections. I, I think you guys have gone for quantity, and I think you've rolled the dice a lot, and there's been a lot of hopeful searching. But where where are you looking? Like where? I think looking at the championship and like players stepping up, we've got good evidence that players can step up, like the ones who are top performers in there, like Tarkovsky at Burnley. Um, some of the Sheffield United players did quite well. Um, even Leeds, like I know they conceded a lot of goals, but Ailing's done really well coming up. I know he's a bit more of an attacking player, but I don't know if you've just been smart enough in the championship and put your foot down there. And like you were saying earlier, you were wedded to that international web of recruitment that you've developed. Have you just been sleeping on some of the stuff like close to the home? Because you you should be able to you should be able to tap into that. Like being a big club, there should there should be a pool for Watford to pull players and and um, bring them in. And I'm not I'm not sure you've. You know, I, I don't think you're for the amount of effort and the amount of signings you've made a defence and just to still have no idea what your best pair is. Maybe not even playing the best way. Like Cathcart doesn't look like a player that should be playing in a pair. 
you need him in a three maybe to just sort of hide some of his mobility issues and things like that. And I think you've just got to put a few defenders who are like that. And yeah, it's, it's not been great. I think it is definitely one of your weak spots. Really, really bad. It's yeah, it's it's a little bit of fear. I think um, it, we, we there was discussion at, at points. We were we were in, probably the closest we've come was in being interested in Alan Webster before he went to Brighton. But I, I think the price tag just kind of puts us off. We we struggle to really look to invest at centre back. I can't remember that. I mean, what was the last fee we put down for a centre back? Was it Christian Cabaselli? I can't even recall now. But um, I know obviously Samir, but kind of into club, it's hard to tell the, the real value there. But we definitely do underutilize that market. We tried with a few of the younger guys, you know, Ben Wilmot coming in, and he had a bit of a spell, but never really, never really stabilized and got the opportunity. But I think we, we've definitely kind of lacked that that consistent approach to science centre backs. So we kind of just go for, you know, we kind of a bit of a shotgun approach to bring a few good, bring a, a large quantity in and see who does well and kind of find out the the pairing as the season draws on, um, which is always a bit of a risk, but. Yeah, I just was curious in, in regards to Brentford because I know I know that I kind of think about after after Harley Dean left that he kind of changed the profile of centre back a little bit and this, things became a little bit more cultured in terms of possession. That kind of helps you develop a style. And I think when it comes to us doing a similar sort of thing or at least attempting to, hopefully, um, that's an area we've got to look at, it, uh, trying to improve the the kind of way we we target the the players we bring in. Um, yeah, anyone got any other any points on that one? Tom, no negative um, summary you want to give on that? <laughs> no, no, I think I've already been down <laughs> enough. Okay, all right, cool. Um, I've got one more here. Sorry, it's just an inbox message. Okay, from Jack. Um, question for the pod. Controversial, but this is a contra- This is a very controversial opinion, actually. Um, is it just me who thinks that Hodgson has not been that, in capital letters, bad? Certainly not the worst appointment in Watford history. We've certainly been more competitive in games, but not been able to cut out the stupid defensive mistake, which spawns from lack of investment, actually covering what we just talked about there. In my opinion, we'd have stayed up if he was here since the start of the season. This doesn't, however, mean that I want him around next year. We should be building a project. Cheers. Which I think is um, I think is a good point in the end there, for sure. Is it is it a controversial opinion to say that he's not been that bad? I don't think so. No, I'm I'm with him, Jack. Was it? I'm I'm with you, Jack. I think. Uh, wow, you've made yeah. I think I just think there's on. been a lot of this. Is the kind of the the danger of Twitter, isn't it? But and, and I always say I take my kind of Watford temperature from Twitter, and I, I know that's not representative of all supporters. I do just think it's just been this kind of vicious kind of place of hate for Watford fans and anger. And I think he lost people quite early with some of the things that he said that don't necessarily chime with what supporters at games think or supporters on Twitter think. <laughs> and and to be honest with you, <laughs> I put this down in my notes and I'm going to, having closed them because I thought we were nearly done, I'm going to bring them back up because I want <laughs> to quote him properly. But I read this on Saturday night and I thought, blokes, in, well, this is what I put. Hodgson talking about 18 points from 18 points might be enough to survive, i.e. we win all of our remaining games, right? That's going to happen. If he's clinging to that, he is living in cloud cuckoo land. Someone up there doesn't like us, he told BBC Mm. Sport. Our first half performance was nowhere near good enough. We conceded a very poor goal, so that was disappointing considering how much we built the game up with the players in the week. If you're claiming someone up there doesn't like us, like there's some kind of divine intervention where we've been unlucky and then in the same breath have gone on to say our first half performance was crap and we conceded a pathetic goal. What are you clinging to that made you think we were unlucky in some way? So it's things like that that make me appreciate where those that are very opposed to Hodgson are coming from. 
But yeah, I think there have been improvements in some mm. areas. We're evidently better away from home. Some awful defensive performances, obviously, but I think on the whole, I still feel like we aren't likely to get cut open every time the opponent has the ball, uh, which is an improvement. Yeah. Some players have done well, which is you know, cutting-edge analysis, but some players have done well. And there have been a few results. I think over the course of the season, with more input and with probably the players that he would have liked to assigned at the start of the season, yeah, I think we'd have stayed up. It wouldn't have been fun. It wouldn't have been particularly enjoyable. But that was, um, you know, that was the aim this season, wasn't it? And that was what kind of Palace did for three years there or two and a half years there. And and they kind of moved away from that. Um, But (sighs) equally, all that said, I certainly don't want him here next year. And I certainly don't think it's a good idea to keep him here next year. Yeah, I think the only, the only way you really attain survival under Roy, I think, is if he is there for a longer period of time because you, you have to be able to make these draws and, and so on count. I think we we were so bad and he came to us and we were so far behind. Uh, playing catch-up is not is not the strong suit, I'd say, for a Roy Hodgson team. You're not going there to pick up a lot of wins. You're going to expect to get a lot of draws and slowly, um, slowly pick up points over the course of a whole season. So I think we were kind of always a little bit doomed in that sense. Um but yeah, I mean, there's there's some argument for him not being that bad. But as you say, Tom, some of the sound bites, some of the some of the decisions within games, I think, have been frustrating. You know, you kind of point to the Kutchers coming off and uh, you know the the loser coming off situation with Kembe, and even even in the previous game against Brentford, where um, Cathcart came on for Kika Femenia, um, you know, with ten minutes or so to go, and I know. It isn't so much a comment on on Firmenia being withdrawn. I'm sure there's probably an injury at play there, as we've seen you know numerous times of Kiko around the last few minutes of the game. But when this is a game which you have to say is must win, uh, bringing on the centre back uh, at right back is perhaps a little bit strange, and then maybe bring on a, a more forward thinking player. Even though the bench was fairly bare, um, Cathcart was still right down the bottom end in terms of attacking threat. I think that probably the thought process is that we would maybe be a little bit more of a, a threat from set pieces should we get one, um, but. You know that's those sorts of decisions have definitely worked against him. Um, what, what about you, Tom? Do you do you feel? Oh, sorry, Tom. I'll ask you to he ask you again. What about you, Matt? Do you feel that we've um, we've been a little bit harsh on Hodgson, or is it has it been overly overall a little bit a little bit not I don't know, maybe maybe fair and representative of what we've actually seen? I think Hodgson has probably done the best that he could do. To be honest, yeah. um, but you can't give Roy Hodgson. Okay. Um, the players that we have and expect him to be able to produce the same uh, performances that he did, he did at Palace um, because they were different players and, you know, one system for them won't be the right system for the players that we have. That's my main point, I think. And I, I don't think he's been that bad. It's just that, you know, it wasn't set up for him in the way that he would have needed it to be. So he's just... What I will say is you know, we can't expect him to say um, anything other than if we win the remaining games, we're going to stay up because, you know, he's employed by the club to to try and produce these wins from 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 nowhere. So he's not going to be like, well, we're down now, so we'll we'll just have a little bit of fun. <laughs> yeah, regard. No, regarding that, I just I just I just found it amusing that he said, if we win all, it was more if we win all of our games, which we <laughs> would be more games than we won all season. We might stay up. I mean, that's how desperate things are. That that might be enough to stay up. So yeah, I, you're right though. Well, I mean, here's, here's the crazy thing though, Tom. I mean, if we beat Man City, let's just try and imagine that that's a possibility to start off. Is with. that not the crazy thing? Well, no, if, if we if, if we if we beat Man City, then it's like we did 
win the Brentford game. And then if we win against Chelsea, it is like we did win the Leeds game. So the only reason we've built up in our heads that those games are important is because we thought they were teams that we had a genuine chance against. Now, he's right in the sense that if we actually win against the teams that we had nailed down as absolute losses, we, we are back in it again. We also kind of had to suck them into us, though. We had to kind of also try and take the... Th- it, I mean, effectively, a six-pointer, right? You want to try and... If you could, if you could be the cat, if Watford beating Leeds could be the catalyst to a capitulation from Leeds that could bring up, bring them down into our level, and we could possibly jump them. That's the. But no, I know what you're saying. I mean, ultimately, you are correct. It, it doesn't matter who you get them from in in a sense. If you are picking up the points, um, and I mean, I do admire your optimism, Matt. I have to say. Well, I'm just backing up. I'm just backing <laughs> up Roy's statement, even though even after um, tarnishing what, what he just said a second. I ago. can hear I can hear you ironing the goalkeeping shirt as we speak. <laughs> I know there's uh, <laughs> there's some optimism coming from there, which I appreciate. But yeah, if there was one game that I wanted to win, it was Man. It's Man City because it's the it would complete the set, wouldn't it? Then we'd have done the whole Premier League at some yeah. point in our in our in our you know recent history. That's that's a goal. That's an objective. This time we can we can hope for. Um, okay, last last question. I think now is the second part from Jack. He also he wanted us to talk about um, Espria and uh, give a little bit of background on him. Um. Again, it's kind of a, a longer conversation, but just a, a brief outline. He's a, a Colombian attacking midfielder. He's he's a he's a taller player. Um, carries the ball really well. Good in the box. He's good with both feet. He can be creative. He's got some flair. He can be a little bit rash defensively. He might be diving into a few tackles, and he's not really come being there to to offer that defensive side of the game. But uh, he he does bring um, he does bring a lot of creativity. He finds himself in some in some interesting situations. He can finish from areas. Uh, that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Think a bit, a bit like Chicho Hernandez, where he pops up in these kind of hard to score areas, difficult angles, but he can torch his body to get shots away. Uh, Espria is capable of doing that, and I think he's someone that could be really interesting in the championship. He's that kind of ball carrying attacking midfielder, which we've seen a little bit from Pedro, how he can carry that ball from deep, and I'd be really interested to see um, if those two could play together and how that would look. Uh, in a team looking to to be a little bit more offensive, so I think there's a lot to like there. Um, I'd like to watch more of more of Espria to kind of get a better understanding, give you a little bit more of a a well-rounded opinion on him. But I think there's a lot of positive to to, to draw from in those um, those games I've seen for sure. Uh, has anyone we be a chance? Expecting him to come in and be very similar to when Jao Pedro arrived, like very very raw and maybe needing, you know, a season of substitutions just kind of like yeah but I mean Pedro was very heavily involved really from his first full season wasn't he and I think you as you say he's raw I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing I think um I think coming off the back of relegation having that kind of raw exuberance isn't a negative I think it's a positive in a lot of ways even if the I know you're saying the kind of application the actual the production is raw but I I think just the freshness the the kind of new feel of having having a player with that enthusiasm coming into the team I think could be a real real positive again like we saw with Pedro it's an opportunity for Pedro whereas it was a kind of you know a wound for a lot of players it's an opportunity for some and I think you really have to focus on those players that can that can have that impact any work permit issues Uh, I believe he's eligible um, as far as I know, he's eligible to come to, to come to the UK and play, but I can't be for sure on that. But I think, from my understanding, the club anticipate him being part of the squad next season. Nice. Yeah. Any any anyone had any chance to see any of Espria? No. It's a firm no. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Okay, that's fine. Firm no. All right. Um, yeah, I think that pretty much concludes the questions we have. Unless we've missed any, I think they're the ones that are off the the thread I asked for questions, and you covered the ones from from Tom, there, didn't you, Matt? I did. 
Yep. Okay. Um, is that pretty much it then, guys? We've got anything other, any other closing points? Uh, we'll be back after the Man City game, and um, we might do something a bit different because I, I don't know if I can talk for a whole hour about um, how many goals Man City scored. So <sighs> maybe we could uh, maybe we could do the picking of our, our you know, the championship lineup that we think we should. We can ask some of these questions we didn't get able to cover fully. Um, do we have any reviews or anything you need to do? My Oh gosh, uh, I think we could do with a new one. If uh, if anyone would like to um, to uh, you know, review us, you just go to the Apple Podcasts um, section, find Watford Buzz, and then there should be an option down the bottom there to give us a uh, a number out of five. Um, I don't believe we've had any new ones, so get one in. Tell us what you think of the pods. Yeah. Tell us how you think we could improve it. Um, yeah. yeah, and tell us what we're doing wrong too. Tell us how, if you want to give us a two star review, give us a two star review. To be honest with us, let us know. Um, we just want reviews and we want to hear from everyone what they think. And thanks for David for sticking around, by the way. I know there's been some pretty bleak Watford chat for you, um, but at least you can uh, you can rest assured that you'll be in the league next year to uh, to not have to talk to us again next year. <laughs> no, I won't, I won't keep you much longer, but I'll just say this. I remember I've got a Bournemouth supporting mate and before we got promoted, he always used to say like, it's so good up there and it's fun. Fans were always like, why do we want to go up? Should we not just stay in the championship forever? This feels like our home. But he was saying that those one or two wins you get, like when you beat a Liverpool or when you beat a Man City or a Man United, the highs you get from that can't be eclipsed by winning 30 games out of 44. Like you can't, the being in the Premier League and doing that at that level is just another level of high. And I think we realised that from beating Chelsea. So even if we'd have gone down this season, that 4-1 win over Chelsea probably would have eclipsed the entire season. And I kind of get what he means now. It's it can be really frustrating for long periods, but those highs you get, they are pretty high. <laughs> they're um, they're good. Yeah, they are. They are. They, they are. They, I mean, I remember when Watford beat Chelsea. I think it was probably a similar score run actually. Uh, and it is it is it is uh, delightful, and you do sort of like experience this euphoria that you haven't experienced before, mm. but. Um, even in season when we've had a great season and finished 11th, you're still only talking about maybe 10 or 11 victories throughout the whole course of the season. Mm. That's, you know, 30 other games there that you're, uh, you know, either losing or drawing. or And also there's that, no point in the season do you feel as though you could challenge to win it. And that, that yeah. must be the feeling that uh, three quarters of the teams in that, <laughs> division have and yet everyone yeah. you just kind of make it everyone turns up yeah so you know yeah it's good to chat yeah it's hard because you guys are obviously like a little bit doom and gloom and the inevitability of relegation are there but it's just you can't just talk about every game as in like oh we're going down we're going down because you technically aren't yet but it's just it's really hard isn't it no, no. I mean I think I think it it's we're, we're, it's like we're on a, a slide and even though we're not at the bottom yet, we can't mm. stop the slide down because we're on a slide. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're not down yet, but it's, You're it's, nearly it's down. almost inevitable. Uh, all right. Well, on that note, um, so, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, see, see <laughs> maybe see him in a few years' time. Um <laughs> All right, yeah, I guess we can close out from here then. Wrap it up. You Another do, long you podcast. Do, you, do, you, 
You do the honours, Jordan. Ah, oh, do the honours. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Listen to another episode of What the Buzz. Two back-to-back monster episodes, both featuring David Anderson. So that's uh, that's nice. I'm, I'm I'm pleased you could join us, and I'm looking forward to chatting about another Watford FC win, draw, loss. Who knows? Um, we'll discuss things next week, and look forward to speaking again. Yep. See you next time. See you next time. Cheers, folks. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.